Well, good morning, church. It's good to be back with you guys. It's been a couple of years since I was here with you before. And I want to ask you to open your Bibles up to Proverbs chapter 22. We're going to look at verse 6 this morning. And I want to encourage you to be there tonight for the marriage time. Um, I encourage the senior adults this morning. I know I've been married for 32 years. I'm 55 years old. And it's really easy to think, well, I got this whole thing figured out. Truth of the matter is, um, that's a well so deep you'll never find the bottom. And one so wide you'll never find the shore, right? <laughs> it's the truth. It's just that the Bible calls it a mystery. And so I, I really invite you tonight to, to be back. If you know someone that's struggling, bring them back to as well. And let's have an honest conversation about some of the principles that will help us in our marriages. If you're a single mom or dad, uh, I would really encourage you to be here. If you're single, I would encourage you to be here. Let me say this. If you don't know what you're shopping for, chances are you'll find the wrong thing. You know what I mean? Maybe I've ever bought a like a knockoff of something at the store because it was cheaper. And it was the first thing you grabbed. And when you got home, you go, ooh, that's horrible. You ever done that before? You know, it's like ketchup. I mean, Heinz ketchup is the only kind of ketchup to buy. You know what I mean? You can buy all the knockoffs you want. They're just red water. Heinz ketchup is what you put on french fries, okay? I mean, that's what it is. I'm just saying, guys, that I think a lot of us, we, we, we let our hormones ga- uh, guide us in who we marry. We let all these things guide us rather than seeking what God wants in our marriages. So I really invite you. If you've got a better place to be tonight at 5 o'clock, you let me know. We'll shut the servers down and we'll go with you. I'm serious. Because, it, I, you know, I, I really beg you to be here tonight. And if you know someone who's struggling... Or whatever, I ask you to be here too. Youth, be here tonight. Because it's going to be soon enough when you're going to be looking and that kind of thing. And you need to understand what it is that God wants. I have a, I wrote a message a couple of years ago for our students at Liberty called Eight Characteristics of a Godly Man. And we just kind of walked through the whole process of what a godly man looked like. The interesting thing was ne- the next day after that was the biggest breakup day the campus has ever known. Because so many guys were breaking up with their girlfriends going, I am not that man, and I don't deserve you till I become that man. And so many girls saying, you know what, he's not that guy either, so I need to find the one who is that guy. Like I said, if you don't have a shopping list to know what you're looking for, chances are you'll find the wrong thing. So tonight, let's talk about this. And this morning, I want to talk to you just about your families. Proverbs 22, verse 6. And by the way, let me say this. I'm sorry I was sitting down through some of that. I've got a pink stir in my lower back. When I stand for a long time, it just starts screaming. Some of you have been there before. You know what I'm talking about? Just the way it is. So I just took a seat for a little bit, okay? So I'm thankful I got this seat up here today. Proverbs 22, 6. Read this with me, will you? It says, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Come on. Say it with me. Train up a child the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, you need to understand something, guys. The, 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 there was a study done several years ago by the American Family Society uh, Association, and they were asking just simple questions. And what they found out was only 12% of American families ever pray together. This is several years ago, by the way. But according to their calculations, only about one-third of all families ever spend any time together having a meal together around the table. And he found out the shocking things was they found out that the average father spends only 8 to 10 minutes a day uninterrupted time with his family every day. That includes meal times and, and uh, TV time, okay? And that the average couple spends less than 4 minutes a day of uninterrupted time together. 
You want to know why our divorce rate is so high? You want to know why our families struggle the way they do? It's because of that. Let me say this to you. Youth, I want to ask you to look at me. And if you're on your cell phone, put them up. Just listen to this, please. Unless you're on your phone, look at the Bible. Just look at me, please. I want you to understand this, guys. If you're going to change a nation, you have to change the church. If you're going to change the church, you have to change the family. Guys, we get all upset about what's going to happen in this election. Let me just say this to you. There's not one candidate running. Come on, Billy Graham, a young running for president of the United States and get elected and not have one bit of influence unless the church is willing to change. You want to influence a nation, you change the church. You want to change the church, you change the families. Let's stop. I'm not telling us not to be, not to, to, to vote and vote for the right candidates, all that kind of stuff, I'm, but I'm not here to talk about that. I'm here to talk about the family. Satan knows how to destroy and what he does is he destroys the foundation. And what he's done with our nation is he's destroyed the foundation of our nation by destroying the home. That's what he's done. If you want to change the nation, you change the church. If you want to change the church, you change the families. So what I want to do today is I want to talk about four basic principles of how we deal with the family. Number one, the Bible says to train up. Train up. There's three basic meanings to that phrase. Three meanings to it. Number one, it means to put something sweet in the mouth of babes. Now, what does that mean? That means as we're raising our children, our grandchildren, that we're supposed to raise them to want to love God, not repel them from God. We're not just supposed to give them religion or just bring them to a building. We're supposed to help them fall in love with Christ. And trust me, if you don't love Christ, they're not going to love Christ. And let me say this to you. What you talk about is what's important to you. What you spend your money on is what's important to you. What you spend your time doing is what's important to you. Your kids are smart enough and grandkids are smart enough to know that all of you, if all you give God is one hour a week, then God must not be very important to you. Come on, guys. We've got to put something sweet in the mouth of babes. Years ago, a friend of mine told me he was at a camp in Oklahoma. And he was telling me, that a young girl, 16-year-old girl, walked up to him and she said to him, she said, Pastor, tonight you said something that I disagree with. He said, what's that? She said, you said that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. And he said, well, that's true. It's what the Bible teaches. She said, that, not, that cannot be true. She said, why? She said, well, my mom and my dad are the two greatest Christians I know. My dad is a deacon in the church. My mom is a Sunday school teacher. She said, every Sunday and every Wednesday when we drive out to go to church, we drive by all these families, and my mom and dad will go, you know, I wish Bob and Sue, I wish so-and-so, I wish so-and-so, I wish so-and-so. Did you hear about this? I wish they would get their life right. I wish they would come to church. I wish they'd do this. She said, in 16 years, I've never once seen my mom and dad step out the front door and ever speak to any of them about Jesus Christ. She said, so I have to conclude that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, that either my mom and dad are the cruelest people in the world by letting our neighbors go to hell, or what you're saying cannot be true. Look at me, parents. You need to understand this. Studies show, studies show, consistent studies show. You can look it up for Josh McDowell. You can look over the last 20 years. Consistent studies show 
that, that anywhere from 75 to 94% of young people who grow up, and by the way, it doesn't matter their background. One of the studies that Josh McDowell did compared Christian school and Christian education and all that kind of stuff with secular education and all that, and the change was nebulous. Why? Because if the home don't reflect that, if the kids don't see it, it won't change. 75 to 94% of those kids who grow up in our youth groups go off to college and walk away from their faith. According to, to uh, Barna, within 10 years only, only 20% of them ever come back. So what's that saying? It's saying this. The reason why our nation is being destroyed is because the family has been destroyed. Because these kids, generation after generation after generation, we are losing them. When you look at my mom, uh, Tom Rainer did a study back in the late 90s and found out that 65% of those 65 and older at that time professed to be Christians in America. But when you went down to those 18 and under, less than 4% professed to be Christians in America. So somewhere we lost 61%. Why? Because we've compromised the home. Guys, we've got to build into our homes a belief system that our kids want to hold on to. Several years ago, my youngest daughter, Kara, we, I was holding on to her one night. She was a preemie. And so the enamel on her teeth didn't develop like it should. I had her upside down. These two teeth right here were kind of rotting in the back. They put caps on her teeth, but they told us she cannot have any sugar to her, her permanent teeth come in because it will rot her teeth. We can't do that. So my, we went home to visit grandma and grandpa, and of course you know what happened. They thought that was the cruelest thing in the world. So my sister buys her, of all things, a sugar daddy and sneaks it to her. My daughter is outside dressed in her nice little dress that my mom put her into, and she's going to town on that thing. And she's grabbing it, I mean doing everything she can, and she's got it all over her face, all over her hands, all over her arms, and all over her dress. And I'll never forget this. <laughs> my mom walked out there and she tried to take that sugar daddy away from Kara, who had never taste, tasted that before. And you know what Kara did? She went, <laughs> no! I've got a picture of her, by the way. Here's what you want, parents, grandparents. You want your kids and grandkids that when they go off to college and that professor starts to tell them that Jesus Christ was just a great myth and their friends tell them that they don't really need to believe this and all this and the world tries to steal their faith, you want them holding on to that so tight that they say, no, you can't have it because I know it's real. I've seen it in the lives of my mom and my dad and my own life. Listen, my mom and dad, my mom several years ago, we went on a trip together and we were talking about this. When I was doing a conference, and my mom, I told mom, I said, Mom, I've never told you this, but I hated the church we grew up in. It was very legalistic. And my mom looked at me, and she says, then why do you do what you do today? I said, because, Mom, when I was a little kid, I can remember being two or three years old, and I can remember you putting me in one arm and holding me like this and putting a blanket over my head, and then you would carry a casserole, to, and you would cook for neighbors who couldn't cook for themselves. And I remember my dad my dad grew a two-acre garden just so he could invite the community to come in so he could talk to them and speak to them. And he would go out wherever he could. I stood at my father's funeral for nine hours. And people walked in and said, hey, you're David, aren't you? And I said, how do you know me? You know what I found out? I found out that for years, my father, who did real well in business, he drove cars till there were 250,000 miles. I always wondered why in the world I had to date in all these dumpy cars. And I'll tell you why. 
because here's what those people told us. They said, I said, how do you know me? Well, your dad told us about you. How, how, what do you mean? What, how'd you know my dad? But when your, my husband had cancer, your father bought the medication. When our kids needed clothes, your dad bought the clothes. When they needed this, we got this. And people, I mean, literally, for nine hours, over 500 people came in that place. And every one of them had a story of how my dad manifested Jesus to them in their lives. I looked at my mom that day as we were driving back from that conference. I said, Mom, let me tell you something. When it came to people questioning my faith when I was a sophomore in college and people tried to pull my faith away from me, I come to realize something, that if I left Jesus Christ, I would have to deny you and dad because you and dad and Jesus Christ are so closely together. We've got to put something sweet in the mouth of babes. It also means to dedicate, means to build an altar. In other words, our homes are to be holy places. It means to dedicate. In those days when they would get the temple ready for, a, for a, a sacrifice, they would go in and wash the temple walls and the floors and everything in it. And they would All the implements in it. And they would pull it all out. They'd put it back in while they were symbolically preparing the temple so that when they laid the offering down, they could receive the presence of God, His holy presence into the temple. Guys, what about us in our homes? Come on, think about this for a moment. Some of you this very weekend went to the movies, you got Netflix, or you just watched regular TV, and you watched sex, gratuitous violence, and listened to language you would never allow your kids or your family ever to speak. And you brought that into your home. You know what we've done as a nation, as a church? We have been, we've allowed ourselves to be that proverbial frog in the kettle to where we just sit there while the water just gets hotter and hotter. And next thing you know, we're cooked and we don't realize it. Why? Because we have sacrificed our families on the altar of entertainment. We've done that over and over again. These kids are addicted to it. I have one week of the semester, I take their phones away from them. They, they have to go into counseling. They get the shakes. How many hours a day, Dr. Wheeler? Because I might get a text. Really? Because we've bought them everything. We've entertained them. Come on, walk into a restaurant and you've got the little kids, two years old, playing games already on their mom and dad's phone because parents don't want to parent anymore. They want to entertain them. You walk into their homes and they got videos they show them forever. Rather than sitting down and playing with them and getting outside with them and teaching them, we're too tired to do anything with them. And then we blame the world for what they've done. What we've done is we've allowed ourselves to be so influenced by the world, we brought the world to our kids. And then we get mad when our kids reflect what we've taught them to do. Because why? Because, guys, we've got to rededicate our homes. Listen to me. It's one thing for Satan to sneak in the back door of our homes, and he will do that if you leave a crack. It's another thing altogether to open the front door of our homes, invite him to come in, and pay him for the privilege of being there. Don't tell me. Come on. I've, heard, I've, been, I've been in ministry 36 years. I've heard those parents come up to me and go, I don't know why Junior's beating everybody up in the nursery. This five, four-year-old kid, five-year-old kid. He just... Beating him up. I don't know why he's in pasture. What did we do? And I look at him and I go, he's got Power Ranger shoes on, Power Ranger shorts on, Power Ranger shirt on, a little hat on, a little underoos, and a tattoo on his arm. And you want to go, duh! 
He's just reflecting what, what you're allowing the world to pour into his mind. Number two, not only is the imperative of parenting, there is the initiation. It says when a child, now that word there for child means a preteen or a teenager, because that's the most influential time in your life when you begin to reflect your values of what you're going to really be and who you're going to be when you grow up. But here's what he says. Understand this. According to most studies, mom and dads are spending more time away from their children right now doing other stuff, paying other people to raise their kids than any time in history. Then we get mad when they pour values into our kids. And you know what we've done? In return, we have paid, tried to buy our kids off. So we buy them the, the, the newest iPhone. Come on, I've seen eight-year-old, seven-year-old kids already have their own iPhones. Really? Are you kidding me? They've got little iPad things that you can put, you can put on them when they're in the nursery. What happened to parenting? What happened to goo-goo-goo-goo-goo? What happened to actually spending time with each other? What happened to not walking into a restaurant? And I had this happen the other day. We were in Charlottesville. This, this family came in, this dad with his four kids. They didn't say one word. The only time they spoke, and he had to make them, is when the waitress came to take the order. The rest of the time, they were doing this the whole time. I wanted to grab their phone, stick them in the water, and say, talk to your daddy. But when daddy wouldn't demand it, I thought daddy lost them a long time ago. It's the truth. It's a hard truth to realize, guys. But come on, think about this. I heard, I heard, we try to buy our kids off. Get them the newest stuff, the neatest thing. If you don't believe that, think about this. I had never heard of storage units until about, 30, about 25 or 30 years ago to the 1980s. When all of a sudden, this big materialistic thing started to boom, and we started having storage units. Why? Because we didn't have enough room at home to put our junk in, so we had to rent storage units to put our junk in that we never used. Why? Come on, go into any place in Williamsburg on any day, and there's going to be, every weekend, I guarantee you, there's going to be a garage sale somewhere. You ever been to those garage sales or those flea markets? Come on, it's the truth. You go into those garage sales, they're, they're, what do they do? They got like five ab blasters, four thigh masters, and some, some uh, you know, a uh, treadmill that some guy bought off of eBay at 3 o'clock in the morning, and he died using it. You know what I mean? It's the truth. We buy more stuff. Come on, when I grew up in Nashville, Tennessee, we had a garage. But if you had a garage, you were lucky to have anything in it. And we were as happy as could be. We played outside all the time. By the way, young, young people, that's called the sun out there. It brings heat to the earth, okay? It does. And it makes everything grow and live. It even makes you guys better, okay? Understand this. That's who we're supposed to be, guys. I, was, I, I saw late 1980s. I saw a study done of several thousand teenagers when I was a pastor in Texas. They asked him, what one thing do you want from your parents more than anything else? You know what the one thing those parents, those kids said they wanted from their parents more than anything else? They said they wanted their undivided attention. They wanted to sit in front of them and be the most important thing to mom and dad, grandma, grandpa. I thought that's probably not true until a couple of years ago. A few years ago, I woke up one morning, turned on Good Morning America, and they had a group of about 12 teenagers on stage from all parts of the United States, of all nationalities, and they kept asking them questions, saying, help us understand your generation. 
And at the very end of it, the lady asked a, a fascinating question. She said, by the way, we got about a minute left. She said, millions of people are watching. Your parents and all of them are out here. Why don't you tell us what we're missing with your generation? This guy standing over here steps out and says, you guys mind? It's almost like they were talking about this backstage. You mind if I tell them? He stepped out and he says, well, that's a pretty easy question to answer. He said, let me tell you what you're missing. You guys keep trying to buy us off. Stop it. We don't want your stuff anymore. We want you. Grandma and grandpa, mom and dad, we want you. We want you to spend time with us. We want you to sit in front of us, stop getting on your phones, clear your calendar, and act like we actually matter. We want you. Wow. We're spending billions of dollars to give them stuff they don't even want. And what they really need is us. Number three is the instruction in the home parenting. He says, raise up a child in the way they should go. It doesn't say would go. There's a lot of psychobabble out there that tells us when your kids are real young, you're not supposed to discipline them much because they'll never know, learn how to make real decisions in life. Just, just, um, there's a great Greek word for that. It's called horse hockey, okay? It's the truth. What it means is simply this. That's a bunch of psychobabble that does not matter because it's untrue. Think about it, guys. If you want a book to read to raise your family on, here it is. I'm serious. Come on, read the background of those people who write these books on how you raise families. They don't have families. Those guys write these books, a lot of them write these books on how you do marriage. They've been married five times. I don't want that, do you? How about reading the book on how we do this? Instructing our home and family. We got too many parents and grandparents who have given up parenting and grandparenting who want to be their child and grandchild's friend. If I see one more mama trying to dress like her 14-year-old daughter, I'm going to throw up. Mom, you're not 14. Be an adult. And she is not your friend. She is your child. Come on, think about this, guys. You're not supposed to like your mom and dad. Because you've got to make hard decisions. You've got to tell them things that they don't want to hear. It's the truth. I mean, seriously, my brother came home from college, 18 years old, sat across my dad years ago. Sit across my father, looked at him and said, Dad, now that I'm a man, I think it's time you and I build a friendship. My father looked at him, didn't, didn't, didn't blink, looked back at him and said, Son, where are your feet? They're on the floor. I said, Whose floor is that? It's yours, Dad. He said, Son, where are your hand, arms at? Where they're on the table. Whose table is that? It's yours, Dad. That food there, where'd you get it out of? Refrigerator. Well, son, whose refrigerator is that? It's yours, Dad. Son, when you drove in last night, whose car were you in? Yours, Dad. Who puts the gas in that car? You do, Dad. Who pays the insurance for it? You do, Dad. Who keeps you in college? You do, Dad. To son, don't sound like we're going to have a friendship. We're going to have a dictatorship. <laughs> Guys, we're giving our kids stuff, our grandkids stuff, and they feel entitled because there's no responsibility to do anything for it, so they don't want to work for it. I see it all the time. I've had 23,000 kids in the last 10 years. I had a kid walk up to me the other day. He said, Dr. Will, I don't know how I flunked the class. I made an A on all the assignments. I said, let's check this out. I said, well, son, yeah, you did good on the three assignments, but there's eight assignments for the class. Oh, I got to do them all? <laughs> yes, son, you do. And you know what the sad part about it is? He'll go home and tell mom and dad, and mom, I'm a college professor, and mom and dad will call me and get on to me. Why, why are you picking on my son like that? I'm not picking on you. He didn't come to class. He showed up twice. We have 30 classes. You're paying for this. It's your fault. It's the truth. 
Guys, we don't want to discipline anymore. I remember when my daughter was eight years old. She walked up to me one time. I'll never forget this. Eight years old. She'd been planning for a month to go out with her friends and their mamas to buy a dress for a dance they had at the end of, end of that, that, that at the end of the school year. She couldn't wait to go on that. That Wednesday, I'm at home. I, I'm talking to her, and I said, honey, I need you to go do this. And she talked back to me. I said, I said, okay, baby, okay. I said, well, honey, I really need you to go do this. And I said it the third time. I finally looked at her, and I said, sweetheart, I've explained it to you twice, you know, and, and I really need you to go do this. If you say another word, you're not going this weekend. She looked at me, and she went, word. To which I said, go call your friends. You're not going this weekend. You know what she did that weekend? She cleaned up the house with my wife. And she wore an old dress to that, to that dance. Somehow parents today seem to think that that's cruel, cruelty to your kid. You know what? My daughter never did it again. It's truth, guys. It's truth. We don't want to instruct because we have to make hard decisions when we instruct. Sometimes our kids don't like us when we instruct. Look, if I had a nickel for every time my girls have stomped off from me and go, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. They only hate you till dinner time. They don't hate you. They're manipulating you. They're playing you like a piano. What they need is structure in their life. I'm going to tell you, these kids love it. They need structure because structure means love. That means you put boundaries in their life. It's the truth. I had a kid walk up to me several years ago and he said, Dr. Weir, I don't like all the rules you have in our class. You don't let us go to sleep. You don't let us sit on our phones and all that. I don't like that. He said, but you know what I realized? I said, what's that? We're about two or three weeks in class. He said, I realized you're just like my favorite teacher in high school. You know, he didn't care whether we liked him or not either. He just cared that we respected him. You know what? He said, you know what I figured out, Dr. Weaver? I said, what's that? The more I respected him, the more I, li I liked him. And the more I respect you, the more I like you. Parents, we're trying to earn something from our kids. We will never earn unless we make the hard decision. It's the truth. Come on, guys, go to a restaurant now. Kids running around everywhere. My kids never did that. Why? Because you know what we would do? We would get up out of the restaurant and go home. They'd have a bowl of cereal and go to bed. I remember pulling our daughter out of Zach's one time, a place in Dallas. We said, honey, I tell you what, you scream all you want to and you'll stay home. We'll get a babysitter. You'll never go shopping with us again. You're going to act right when you go with us. We expect that. We love you enough to tell you that. Come on, guys, it's the truth. Absolutely the truth. Think about this. You go to Walmart. I'm ADD. When I go to Walmart, I go to the toy aisle so I can press all the buttons. And, you know, you go down, there's always a five-year-old kid walking, screaming in the floor, going, Aah! and there's always parents and grandparents trying to, to say, hey, come on, sweetheart, if you'll just get up and get in the buggy, we'll get you this toy this time, and next time we'll get you this toy. Please get up in the buggy. And they're negotiating. The terrorists. <laughs> you don't negotiate with a five-year-old. You know what my daddy would have said? He'd say, son, you get your honey back up here in this buggy. It'd be easier for your mother and I to start over and put up with this nonsense. Now get up here. That would have been it. That would have been it. And you know what? I, at my dad's funeral, every one of his children and grandchildren sung his praises. He raised half of our community because he was the dad everybody wanted to. Why? Because their parents wouldn't give them structure. My dad and mom did. Don't tell me these kids don't want it. I've had 23,000 of them. I've had many of them come up to me and go, thank you, Dr. Wheeler, for loving us enough to tell us the truth. We need to grow up. I walked out of church one Sunday morning, but halfway down, there's a lady named Marcy. And she, 
she was sitting there crying. She, I walked up to her and I said, Marcy, what's wrong? She said, oh, Brother David, it's so terrible. I said, what's wrong, Marcy? She said, my, my, my girls wouldn't get out of bed to come to church this morning. She was, she was in her second marriage and her husband wasn't saved yet. Later on, I baptized him, but this time he wasn't. And she said, they won't come to church this morning. I said, how old are your girls? She said, eight and ten. I said, Marcy, who's the parent? Who's the child here? She said, what do you mean? I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home right now. I want you to open up their door, pull back their cover, and tell them they got five minutes to get ready. I said, if they're not ready in five minutes, you carry them out in the car, you bring them here to church, send them on the back row in their pajamas, and next week they'll get up and get ready. Well, that's cruelty. No, it's not. You know what my daddy would have done to me? Every Sunday morning, he walked by our, our room, and he'd go, David, get up. you got about 30 minutes to get ready. I could just imagine one of those morning go, you know, Dad, I'm really tired. I, am. I was up late watching Gunsmoke last night. I tell you, you tell my Sunday school teacher that, you know, I'll see you all tonight. Your mom have fun. My dad go, boy, you got 28 minutes left. If I wasn't ready in those 28 minutes, what my daddy would have done, he would have come pull me out of that bed, marched me downstairs, put me in the car, drove me to church, sat me on the front row of my Batman pajamas, and made me take up the offering, okay? <laughs> that's not cruelty, that's parenting. That's parenting. That's making hard decisions. I'm mean, come on, I was that ADD kid who was in the principal's office in trouble all the time. And trust me, in my day, we got plenty of phone calls from the teachers. And when we got a phone call from the teacher, we didn't just get it at school. We got it at home. Now what we have are parents saying, well, it's the teacher's fault. Really? You want to know why nobody wants to be a teacher anymore? Because they got to put up with a bunch of baby parents. How many teachers are here? Am I right? Absolutely. You're busting your backside to work for pennies for nothing because you love kids and parents are jumping all over you when you, you're trying to teach those kids something their parents won't even teach them. I see it all the time. It's time that we wake up and the church needs to lead the way in this. We need to instruct our kids. We need to stand up and be that for them, guys. And by the way, grandparents, let me speak to you for a moment. Here's what we had to do with our, our home. My youngest daughter has mild cerebral palsy. Every time we took her home to grandma and grandpa, they felt sorry for her. Kara was playing them like a piano. I'm telling you, man, she was. Because here's what they would do. We would, every time they spent three days with grandma and grandpa, it would take three months to get it out of them. Grandma and grandpa didn't make us do that way. Grandma and grandpa didn't make grandma and grandpa, grandma and grandpa, grandma and grandpa. You know, and here's what would happen. Here's what would happen. I'm not kidding you. We'd be driving home. I've seen this. Kara's in the back seat going 20, 40, 60, 80. Where'd you get that money? Grandpa gave it to me. How'd you get it? Well, the first night he gave me $10. And I gave it back to him the next day and said, Grandpa, if I give you two hugs, will you make it 20? And he made it 20. And every day he doubled it. And look what I got. I'm going, where did that man come from? When I was growing up, I had to beg him for a penny to get gum. And he'd tell me to get out in the car. And now all of a sudden he's like a change machine, you know? You know what we told grandparents? We, we had a meeting with them. We said, either you raise our children and discipline them the way you discipline us, or you're going to have supervised visitation. That's it. <laughs> I'm not trying to be mean to grandparents. I'm simply saying to you that we all want to raise up godly kids. Amen? That means we've all got to be on the same page. Finally, number four, impressions. It says, raise up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they will not depart from it. That is not a promise, but it is a strong encouragement that if you'll do the right thing, your kids will follow the right path. And the impressions that are left are what's going to lead them down the right path. 
Guys, it wasn't the things that my mom and dad bought me that made the difference with me that had nothing to do with it. I mean, come on. All the things my mom and dad bought me, the tiger seat bike I got when I was five years old, I don't know where that is. The, 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 the motorcycle my dad helped me get in the 11th grade, the dirt bike, I don't know where that is. The lime green three-piece suede leisure suit my mama got me in the ninth grade. I don't know where that is, and praise God. <laughs> I wore these stacked shoes about like that and everything. Man, I got pictures. You know what it is. Some of you guys did it. You know those silk shirts we used to wear with the flowers on them and, and unbutton them down to here like we really had something. You know what I'm talking about. I got rid of every picture I know of that, okay? <laughs> because let me tell you something. Nothing my mom and dad ever bought me made the difference. I'll tell you what did make the difference. When my mom was, I was seven years old, my mama got sick and my dad worked three jobs and took care of my mom. My dad never missed church. He never dropped us off the door. He was there with us. He loved us. My mom almost died and my dad treated my mom like a fine piece of china. Not realizing that one day, I would, I would seven years into my marriage, my wife would almost die. And we'd spend the last 26 years with her with an autoimmune disease and on chemo by mouth almost every day. My dad was teaching me how to love my wife like Christ loved the church. It wasn't the things my dad and mom bought for me. It was the impressions they left with me that made the biggest difference. And let me give you one of those. It's called the blessing. Fathers, let me speak this to you especially. Some of us dads give more affection to our tree stands and our trucks than we do our kids and our families. We don't tell our people we, we love them because we say, well, they just know it because of what I do for them, really. Ladies, if you will be honest here, you could tell your husband or tell your dads, Dad, let me tell you the truth here. I want to hear that you love me. Well, I wasn't raised that way. I can't help but you were raised the wrong way. Jesus would never withhold his children what they rightfully need. My father was an old country boy from East Tennessee, big old guy, tough as, tough as nails. The last conversation I had with my father the morning, he died that night. The last words he said to me, I said, Dad, I'll see you in a few weeks. I love you. My father said, I love you too, son. And four days later, I preached his funeral. My father, nothing he's ever given me was greater than his love. And I mean, he didn't just show it, he told it to us. He did. It's called the blessing. And by the way, if you've not figured it out, guys, if you don't give that to your daughter, your daughter will start looking for it in another man and she'll start looking early, I promise you. Even the secular psychologist will tell you that. You better look at her and tell her, honey, I love you, I'm proud of you. No man could have a greater daughter than you. Because you're modeling for her what you want her to find. A man who's not scared to be a man because a man who thinks saying I love you makes you less of a man proves that he's not a man. It's just the truth. We need to show them the blessing. My daughter walked up to me when she was in ninth grade, beautiful. She's getting married here in about a month, but she walked up to me one time. I said, sweetheart, why don't you have a boyfriend like all your other friends? She looked at me one time and she said, daddy, I don't need a boyfriend. I got you. I said, right answer. <laughs> Listen to me. And I'm going to say this to you, you guys down here too as well. We have a rule in our house. My daughter's 22 years old sitting across from us one night crying because she had broken up about her 10th boyfriend in a row. And she said, Daddy, will you help me? And I said, Sweetheart, I will. You remember this, Jeshua? And I said, Yes, honey, I will help you. But you're going to listen to what I say. Will you listen to what I say? And she said, Yes. I said, Number one, you're going to go on a moratorium. You're not going to date anybody for a year. I said, I don't want to choose who you marry, but you're going to fall so in love with Jesus so when you find that man, you look at him through the eyes of Jesus, you'll know exactly who that man's supposed to be. So number two, you're going to keep a journal. You're going to get back in the Word every day and write about what God's teaching you. And number three, 
If you go out with a guy after this year, the third date is always with me. I get to sit across the table from him at breakfast. Now, I don't bring a gun. I don't try to scare him. I don't need to scare him. I just tell him, young man, this is how I expect you to treat my daughter. This is how I treat her mama. This is what it is. And I'm going to tell you what happens. The good ones will run. The, um, the, the bad ones will run. The good ones will stay. You know what? I've had girls all across the campus at Liberty University come to me and go, I hear you do this. Would you do that with my boyfriend? I've Skyped with their boyfriend. Ex-softball players, my daughter played softball there. Friends of my daughter say, would you, would you do this? Some of you go, I never want my daddy to do that. Yes, you do. You want your daddy's protection. You know why? Because he knows what that boy's thinking. And he knows that if he gets in that kid's head, that kid may not think it as much. At the same time, let me say this to you. Ladies and guys, you don't need a man or a woman to complete you. I mean, you need a man or a woman one day to compliment you. And you wait on God's man or woman. And mom and dad, don't sit back and let it just happen. I have parents after I do these conferences come up to me and yell and scream and holler at me. You know, because I used to tell them that one of the rules in our house was, and I'll close here in a second, Dave. One of the rules in our house was, that if, if Debbie was cleaning up your room and she found your journal out, she would read it. I've had parents go, that's an invasion of their privacy. No, no, no. I've been in ministry 36 years. You've seen this too, David. I've seen too many young people kill themselves. They've been talking about in their journal for months and months and months. You ask me, would those parents rather have a, a journal full of memories or would they rather have their child? You know what we did in our house? We had one computer. If the girls ever covered up the screen when we walked by, we shut it down. Every, every week, my wife, Went through every one of the websites they were on to make sure they were there. Why? And I've had parents say, well, that's invasion of privacy. No, it's not. You know what? There's too many predators online. I want to protect my kids. And mom and dad, if you're letting your kids go back to their room and just do whatever they want to and be on that all the time, and you're never checking it, that's lazy parenting. Shame on you. I'm serious. I can be. Every time I hear about a kid being taken off or a girl being drawn out by some seductive old man someplace else acting like he's one thing i'm thinking to myself where were the parents and all of that actually checking that out and reading that all those months that he was saying all those seductive things to him would you rather protect the, the privacy of your kids or would you rather see your grandkids one day and see your kids grow up and get be godly folks listen to me i'm telling you right now if you love them you will discipline them you love them, you will affirm them. If you love them, you will tell them how much you love you. Because I'm telling you, parenting and grandparenting is the hardest thing in the world. But it's the greatest gift and greatest thing we have. Look across here. These young people, you're the greatest gift we have. Your kids, greatest gift we have. That's the greatest investment you'll ever make. Let me close with this. A couple, several years ago, Lady walked up to me, her name is Jean. She told me, she said, would you tell people this every time you, you get a chance? Her husband's name was Carl. Carl was, was in our church too as well. Carl didn't get saved. His kids were older. And, and uh, the story goes like this. That their, oldest, their, old, their only daughter was moving out of the house. She was like 19 years old, going to get married the next week. And, and they said they were waiting out the truck to load up everything, the, the last load. And, and they waited for Carl to show up because surely he wanted to tell his daughter bye. He never showed up. So the mama stood there and waved as their daughter drove off. So they went back and in, uh, she went back in the house. And she, walked, she walked through this big old huge house they had and all this. There was one light on it. It was back in a, 
a walk-in closet in their daughter's room. She says he walked across that room where she had been there with her daughter thousands of times, you know, while she was growing up and all this kind of stuff. And all these memories kept flowing back. She heard a whimpering sound when she peeked into the closet. Back in the back of the closet was her husband. He was holding on to a teddy bear, and he was just weeping. She said, I've never seen him heave. He could not even talk hardly. He was crying so hard. She said, so I sat down beside him, put my arm over the top of him, and cried with him. I looked at him a few minutes later when he calmed down. I said, sweetheart, please tell me what's wrong. Tell me what's going on. And this is what he said. He said, my baby's gone, and I don't even know her. My baby's gone, and I don't even know her. Look across these aisles. Look at your husband and wife. Look at your kids. Look at them. Look at your grandkids. If you blow it with them, then we've blown it. I realized years ago that I could teach thousands, but if my kids and my wife didn't respect me, what was it about? What was I going to do? So I'm going to ask you to stand with me right now and just bow your heads, please. This morning, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask us, simply if we will, just to play on the piano. And this morning, I'm going to invite you to come. Maybe you've never received Jesus Christ, your personal Savior. David will be down here in the front. But I'm going to ask you to lead out in families, mom and dad and kids. If you want to go to the nursery and get your kids right now or go get them from children's church, you go get them right now. You want to bring them to this altar. And I'm going to ask you to bring your families to this altar this morning and kneel down together and dedicate your homes back to Christ. You want to change a nation, you change the church. You want to change the church, you change the family. Maybe you're a single mom or dad. You feel like you have nothing. You, you, I want you to understand this church loves you. You come. We will love you together. But I'm going to ask you this morning, find them. Mom and dad, find grandparents. Find your family and come together. Dad, take leadership. Pray over your family. Pray over your kids. Your kids are going to look at you and go, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. You, you bring them. You know why? Because your dad, they should respect that. I'm just telling you this morning, you want to get our nation back. It starts right here when we get our families on their faces before God. This is where it is. So I'm going to pray for us and I'm going to ask you to come. If we can pray with you, you let me know. You come. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray you'll lead this invitation, Father. As we come this morning, we bring our families here today. We rededicate them back, our homes, to you, God, move among us. That you may have free reign in our homes and our communities with mom and dad and our kids and the friends and everybody, the influences we have. God, in Jesus' name, we rebuke the evil one who's trying to steal our homes and our families. God, wake us up this morning to be the godly men and women, moms and dads and grandparents we need to be. Wake us up, the young people here this morning, to see that, that, that Lord, that what we're trying to teach and to do and to guide and to lead is not to ruin their lives, but to guide them and help them know that, God, you're alive. God, I pray you awaken us today to who you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray.